Good morning. I am um, introducing you to a book in the Bible that a lot of people try to ignore. It's, again, the book of Ecclesiastes, the widest part of your scriptures. And the reason is because people are afraid of it. You see, it is a, a book of wisdom, but it's a book of hard wisdom. I've been asked from time to time, what, how do you define wisdom? Wisdom basically is, boy, I'm not going to do that again. And you know, you just accumulate enough of that. I, I know when I teach this at the university, uh, I, I, I see horrified students as we walk through this journal of Solomon. But then when I teach it to more mature believers, I just see that smile. Well, not on you, you're all masked up, you know, but... I just see the nodding of the head like, yeah, that's the way it really is. And if you're not afraid to break out of the fantasy that maybe the world tries to sell you and understand that if we're really pursuing some sense of happiness, some sense of purpose, some sense that this world makes sense as God created it, well, then we got to get to the hard facts. Remember, this is Kohelet. This is Solomon. This is the wisest man who ever lived. And this man had every opportunity in his life to imagine, and like he said, I tried it all. I did it all. And nothing was kept from my heart's desire. And then he says, let me tell you what I learned. And this is his personal journal. He's about my age at this time. He's in his 70s, most likely. And he reflects the realities of, of life. Now, I'm just introducing you this book, to this book by three main themes that run through this journal that Solomon learned. The first is that life itself may be the first gift. It's not like you try to survive. You try to get through this life, and then we just get to heaven, and that's when the party begins. But like we said yesterday, God created everything, and he described everything he created as good, tone that is designed by God to be enjoyed. Why do you think he gave us all of the senses that we have so that we can extract enjoyment from what he created? But it takes wisdom to do so because most people are not. And that's why most people live the life and they're somewhat miserable. They're somewhat bitter and disappointed with life. And I see very few people ending very well as far as any sense of joy. And remember what joy means? The word is karah. It means the absence of being afraid, the absence of fear. And when you realize that God did not create this creation to scare you, but rather because he created you in his own image, he created you with the capacity to extract enjoyment from what he created, and that's what makes it good. But the wisdom he shared with us right away is that the way you view life is like this conveyor belt with the apples, and you understand that God brings many gifts for you to extract enjoyment. He brings the gifts. The gifts comes to you, but it's really up to you to bring the wisdom on how to extract the enjoyment of it. Remember, the key to the whole thing is to acknowledge this from the hand of God. It's gratefulness. That's why he says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. He wants you to enjoy what he's given to you every day of your life. And not let it just pass by like a vapor. And so this grateful heart is acknowledging that what I have, what I receive, 
the opportunities I get to do things, they're all given to me by the hand of God. And the moment I acknowledge that with a gratefulness, God, remember the Hebrew word? Thanks. Shalot. Thank you. Basically, God shalots us. Remember, that's the word. He empowers us to extract the enjoyment from the gift itself. And that's why the man who lives his life in wisdom, his heart is gladdened. He doesn't care how old he is. I don't care how old I am because I every day, just as I did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, since the age of 16, I've been extracting with a grateful heart the goodness and the joy of God's gifts. Well, you say, okay, if life is actually the first gift and God's given us wisdom and direction on how to extract enjoyment from this gift, but there's always that big but. Some of those apples coming on the conveyor belt in front of me look pretty rotten. They've got worms in them, and it's just like, if I eat that thing, I'm going to throw up. And so you say, is this the apple I get? And what we're talking about is that, all right, if this life is the, the gift from God, why? Why are there bad apples, bad days? Do you remember that talk your dad had with you? Do you remember that talk you're going to have with your kids? Son, daughter, the world is not fair. The world's not fair. And yet we still, there's something in us, we still believe it is. And so we go through life constantly disappointed because they have these days and we see injustice. We see things that are not right, that are wrong. And face it, sad endings make us cry. When the bad guys appear to win, we get mad. If Cinderella's sisters got that guy, we would have been ticked. If that kryptonite had really killed Superman, we would be bitter and angry. I mean, with always the good guys lose. Notice, in most of the films and the literature and the things we read, you don't find yourself going back and enjoying when the evil guy comes up on top. So we always want to remember. Do you remember elementary school? Remember when they first taught you to wait in line for your turn to get your juice or rotten cookie or whatever? And there was that guy. There was that guy that would just come in and just bully himself right in and cut in line. How do you feel about it now? When you're on the freeway and you have two lanes and they're cutting the two lanes into one. And that same guy grew up and that same guy, there you know what I'm talking about. That same guy is going along the shoulder and he cuts right in. And your response is to pray for him. <laughs> Heavenly Father, just take him home right now. There's different kinds of prayers. And so like it or not, we hate injustice. We hate the big butt, but life isn't always Fair. You know what's interesting is you've all heard of C.S. Lewis. He talks about coming to Christ, kicking and screaming. He was a celebrated atheist there in Oxford and a professor in Cambridge. And you know what brought him kicking and screaming? What he caused is the moral law. 
You go ahead in anthropological studies, you study all the primitive or civilized uh, tribes around the globe, and they all have one thing in common. Every believer, every unbeliever, every human being, every homo sapien has a desire for justice. We have a desire and we have this sense of some things are right and some things are wrong. Now, now, where does that evolve from amino acids? Now, it's true from tribe to tribe, from culture to culture, what's right, what's wrong may differ, but there's certain things cross the board. Like eating your mother is pretty much accepted as wrong. You don't do that. And so every human being has a sense. That's why people get angry. Everyone gets angry. Everyone has sense of right and wrong. And C.S. Lewis, only he conclude what Paul wrote in Romans 1.19, that God made himself known. And the way God made himself known to everyone, so no one's without excuse on this one, is that through what he created, just look at the creation. But then also, he says, he made himself known for what he put within us. And what he put within us is the very sense of this moral law. In chapter 2 of Romans, verse 9, it says, even the pagans who never heard of God or heard of the Bible or heard of Jesus Christ, they still have the law in their heart because they have some sense that some things are right and some things are wrong. There's injustice in our world, and they don't like it. No one likes it. And see, he said that that's the evidence of what God's placed within every human being. Because that just doesn't come from nowhere. And so we all have this sense. It's like we don't understand the appointed times because it doesn't make sense. At times, life feels unfair, unjust. So what does Solomon talk say about this? He talks about the truth. In chapter 3 in Ecclesiastes, he picks it up in verse 11 and he says this. God has made everything appropriate in his time. That word appropriate is the Hebrew word yafar. And yafar means that you look at something and there's nothing wrong with it. And so it's appropriate, it's beautiful because there's nothing wrong with it. So he says God makes everything so that we look at it and there's no injustice. There's nothing wrong with it. And he says in its time. Seems like we got any time problem here. He has made, he has set eternity in their heart. That word eternity is the word olam. And the Hebrew olam means this deep sense of wanting justice and wanting to know how things end. We want things to end right. And God's placed that within every human being. That's one of the evidence they say there is a God, if you're ever arguing with an atheist. And so he says, eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. We sometimes don't see this fairness. We sometimes see things that are really wrong. And he's put within us a capacity to say and to identify that it's wrong. He says, I know that there's nothing better for a man to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. How am I going to do that when there's things just are not right in my world? Well, go over to verse 16, and he kind of owns up to it. Furthermore, 
I have seen under the sun. Remember, that's a phrase he uses for in this mortal life, from your physical birth to your physical death. That's the gift he's talking about in his journal. He says, furthermore, I've seen under the sun that in the place of justice, there is wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, there is wickedness. Now, where would you expect to find justice? Well, in our judicial system. But he says, it's, there is, the Hebrew word resha means it's bent. So here you expect to see justice, but it's bent. It's broken. In a place of righteousness, where would you expect to see righteousness? Well, in our government. But somehow it's bent. And there's flaws. So he said to myself, now this is Solomon. He sees this. Things don't seem right at times. He said, I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time and for every matter and for every deed is there. So he says, I said to myself, God's going to. God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. So the question comes up, well, if God created the good, God created us the free will to enjoy, extract enjoyment from the good, then why is there evil? Why is there injustice? Well, I don't know how many times I'm asked in class, if there's evil and God created everything, then that means God created what? It's called poor logic. God created evil. Well, the same logic is that you turn on the lights and that light produces darkness. No. No, no, no. Light doesn't produce darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. And in the same way, when God created good, God says, and James, what James tells us, every good and perfect thing comes and is the character of God's creation. God did not create evil. God did not create injustice. But for the purpose of us extracting enjoyment from the good and the beauty that he created, he gave us choice. He gave us free will. But what do we do with our choice and free will? We bend righteousness. We bend, basically, that which has been good into evil. God did not create evil. But because God did create the good and created the choice of a free will to enjoy the good, the choice can be made to bend that choice. And evil is produced by man, not by God. And so when you say, well, God created everything, and evil's part of it, and so therefore God created evil. No, it's not true. God created the very good that is then perverted by our free will choice. Think about it. Every horrible, painful thing that's so unjust that you've ever observed, it's all sourced in one man, and that is mankind. God doesn't produce evil. So we would expect our courts to always be justice, but our courts have men and women with free will, and at times in their own flawness, they bend it, and we see injustice. Or in government, we would expect to see righteousness, but in government, we have men and women with flaws, and with the free will, they bend it, and so we see wickedness, and we get angry, because God's placed within us along. So Solomon's asking the hard questions here. He's not being negative. He's just being honest. The problem seems to be the timing of things. We tend to be an anxious people. And that goes apparently down to our soul. 
uh, uh, um, but I've taught through the book of Revelation. I, uh, I, I have to admit, I get a kick out of the fifth um, seal judgment. Now, I know I'm a little strange. Pray for me. But uh, in, in chapter 6 of Revelation, you know, you got the unfolding that God finally says, all right, I will now bring judgment on this world in the future. And, 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 and in the fifth mark is that there's this horrible outbreak of, of execution of believers. And so what's happened is in chapter 6, in the fifth mark, you are pictured in heaven. And it says, all of these Christians in the tribulation time who've been executed, murdered, they're standing before Christ. Now, you think they would be rejoicing and singing and celebrating. No, they're complaining. Because what they say is that, Lord, how long will you permit them to continue to kill us? Why are you letting injustice take place? You know when this really hit me was I did a funeral years ago for a sweet, sweet grandmother. And her two granddaughters were in the front row and they just kept crying and crying. I tried to keep encouraging them. You know, you do know your grandmother's okay. She's breathing celestial air. She's seeing things you and I only dream about. But they couldn't stop crying. And finally I asked. I said, so why are you crying? She says, because grandma's forgotten us. And all of a sudden, I know it's strange, but this passage came to mind, God's judgment. Uh, but what it was is these people, even after you die and your soul is with Christ, guess what you still have? Memory. Because these folks are remembering how were they were executed. So when Jesus says, chill, gives them a white robe, and he says, just wait and tell the rest who have been murdered as you have been. They remember how they died. Then Jesus says, then I will bring judgment. We seem to have a timing problem with this thing because we feel something's not just if it's not dealt with right now. And yet, that's apparently something in our soul. The point is how this uh, personal journal of Solomon ends. I mean, after he goes through this whole thing, the last two verses of chapter 12, he says this. The conclusion. <laughs> Here Solomon says, to my journal, to all wisdom, Here's the conclusion. When all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. Okay, fear God and keep his commandments. Honor what he said. Why? For God will bring every act to judgment. Everything that is hidden, whether it is good or it's evil. There's a promise here. God promises he will take care of the injustice. He will take care of that which is not fair. And notice he simply says that everything that is hidden, whether it's good, everything that's been good and has been not rewarded shall be rewarded. And everything that is evil, that has not been punished, shall be. It's the promise of God. Therefore, he says, fear God. And so when you put this all together, what's interesting, there are those who argue that one of the evidence that there's life after death is the very fact of this issue of injustice. Because why would God place within a human being this deep desire for justice 
and we do not see justice completed in our lifetime. But God has promised that we will see justice. Add it up. What's the logic? Therefore, if we don't see justice in this life, we're going to see it win in the next life. And some argue, some theologians argue that it's one of the clear evidences that there's life after death because God has placed this olam within every heart and he would not put it there unless he expected, as he's promised, that one day we're going to see it. One day we're going to see it. See, but what about the, the, the nasty now and, and now? Well, what, what's interesting is, notice he says, fear God and keep his commandments. That's what you need to be doing right now. Fear God. You've heard that a lot. I've heard it my whole life. What does it mean to be afraid of God? Interesting, the word yare, fear, is identical to the word pastes in the New Testament, faith. Fearing God, faith in God. In the scripture, same thing. But what does it mean to fear God? It's an interesting thing. I, uh, uh, Holly and I, when we were 25 years old, we came to this valley. And I uh, was the pastor of First Baptist San Lorenzo Valley down the street. They called me Pastor Kid because everybody in the church was over 50 except for one couple. And Holly and I were 25. And I remember thinking, how am I going to pastor people who are twice my age? And I remember 1 Timothy 5 says, treat older men as fathers and older women as mothers. And I just thought, I'll just shepherd my parents. <laughs> it was wonderful. But I remember we lived in Boulder Creek. And at that time, now John, my elder son, he's, he's 40, um, 48 now, but he was six. And we realized he, he needed to learn how to swim. So, so there were swimming lessons at the little pool in Boulder Creek. Uh, but I was over at the church, so I paid my $20, and, and that week, John got swim lessons, and Holly took him to swim lessons every day. Well, Friday afternoon, I'm coming home. I, I want to see what I got for my 20 bucks. So I, I, John, you know, I take him to the deeper end of the swimming pool, and I said, okay, John, swim over to me. And he looks at the water, and he looks at me, and he looks at the water, and his little knees begin to shake. I said, come on, John, don't worry, don't worry, I'm here. Dive in, swim, or show me what I got for my 20 bucks. Well, he, he's just kind of looking at me, and he's beginning to panic. And so as a loving father, I just kind of encouraged him. John, if you don't get in that water, I'm coming over here, and I'm throwing you in. Of course, Holly's echoing over here. You're a horrible father. I don't care. I just got to swim. I paid 20 bucks. Well, if that was enough to get John to dive in. And he swam underwater all the way, came out, big smile, went around, did it three, four more times. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because it illustrates a very important point. Sometimes it takes a greater fear to cast out a lesser fear. John came to the point of fearing me more than drowning. So it is, like in Exodus 20:20. Just remember 2020 vision. In Exodus 20:20, you got an interesting thing. God's giving the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments to Moses. And in a summary statement there in Exodus 20, 20, uh, Moses says, you know, uh, uh, he speaks for God, and God's right there. There's the mountains, like it's on fire, and there's thunder and lightning, and the people are so frightened. They say, Moses, you speak to us, not God. And then the verse says this, God speaks, fear not, Yahweh, fear not, for I did all these things, so that the fear of God rests upon you. Same word, Yare. You go, bidip, 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 what? 
So he says, God said, I wanted to scare you to death so that the fear of God will rest upon you, so don't be afraid. I'm going, what? You see, if you don't fear God, you'll fear the creation and everybody and everything else. You fear God, greater fear, cast out all fears. You know what it means to fear God? It's an interesting thing. Respect. You know, I, I tend to be a nice guy. And, 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 and churches I've, I've pastored and played, people tend to like me because I like them more. But I find little by little, I start losing respect. How do you know that? They stop asking me for counsel. <laughs> you know, in other words, I realize I'm not really good at making people afraid of me. There's an aspect of fear that God knows that respect that moves us to obey, to honor the person we respect must be first based on an understanding. He can hurt me. He's greater than I am, more powerful than I am. And that's why the scripture has to show us that God is God. Sovereign, powerful, a God of justice, a God who will bring judgment. And we can never back off on that and say God's the big good buddy in the sky because people will never fear him. So the fact is God is God, our creator, and he can do whatever he wants. But now, but then he says, fear not. It's like you meet this big guy in junior high and he can beat the spit out of you. And he walks up to you and you think he's just going to pound your bones. And then he smiles. He gives you a big hug. Says, we're going to be friends. You know what the response is? <sighs> a big relief. And then what? Deep respect. Deep respect. So God says, don't, don't blow me off. Don't misunderstand my love, my grace, my mercy, and dismiss who I am. You remember who God is. Because that is the key for you not to be fearful of anyone else or anything else. And that's why he says, fear God. Remember who God is. Remember he's your heavenly father. And he says, therefore honor me. And we're motivated because he's worthy of it. Well, now we put this all together and the question comes up. Well, then what is it that keeps Solomon awake at night? And this is interesting. Uh, Michael Novak, a professor at Stanford University, sums it up. Uh, the problem, he says, with this, quote, It is taken for granted in most intellectual circles that an intelligent person does not believe in God, and certainly not in any institutional religion. Novak goes on to say, quote, Indifference to religion is the ordinary mark of the serious intellectual Indeed, the thesis of the intellectual life in America is that there is no God. Now my question is, why is this denial and replacement of God uh, with self so intelligent? I mean, if we are the apex of evolution, then that means we're accountable to no one, and we become basically the standard of what is right and what is wrong? The last, uh, I'm not saying I go to movies, but if I had, I probably would have seen the last one, Mission Impossible of Tom Cruise. 
And remember, they had these race scenes, you know, in a mountain on a little narrow road. And they're just flying all over the place. You know, if you're in a car and you're racing in a winding road on a mountain and you want to go as fast as you can, but there's things called centrifugal force and that centrifugal force can throw you right off the mountain. What if you knew what that maximum speed was? That you could go as fast as permissible with those forces, but you're not going to be flying off the mountain. See, what's remarkable is that we think we know that speed. So some of us go so slow and so careful, we don't even live life. We survive it. Others, oh, they think they know I can go that fast and get away with it because they think they know the number. They think they know the speed. And they keep flying off the mountain to their own ruin and destruction because they think they're God. They think they are gods that they basically, because we have the breath of God, it makes us God. Go back to chapter 3 and verse 19. Here Solomon makes this statement. After he said that God will bring judgment, he says, I said to myself concerning the sons of men, that's us, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. Now, the question is, why does God let us bend, twist his goodness, his righteousness, and justice so that we see so much injustice in our world? Answer. Because God is exposing something about us. And what is he exposing about us? That we so much want to believe we are gods. And we're the standard of right and wrong. He says, but God tests them in order that they may see they are but cattle. Beast. He, he punches the point, verse 19. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast. It's all vanity. We think the breath of God in us, I'm a human being, that makes me divine. He says, no, you're not divine. You're cattle. You're animals. You have the same thing in common with animals. And what is that, oh great God? You die just like animals die. All go to the same place. All came from the dust. They're going to return to the dust. Who knows that the breath of man ascends upward and the breath of beast descends downward to the earth. I have seen that nothing is better than a man should be. And he'll go on to his conclusion in just a few minutes. And so the fact is, is we've got a problem. And God has to expose that problem. Why is the world unfair? Because human beings think they're gods and that they can set the establish of what's right and what's wrong. And we kind of go, oh, those bad people. We all struggle with it, folks. It's called arrogance. It's called pride. Now, let me make the point. When's the last time you got angry? Okay, now don't share, not a share time. But uh, I'm going to tell you why you got angry. You got angry for one of two reasons. You got angry because... You weren't treated the way you felt you should have been treated. Boy, that kid, that farmer, you know, at uh, Safeway, you know, they don't they know who I am. They treated me. So you didn't like the way you were treated. Or 
Things didn't turn out the way you wanted them to turn out. Like your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we get angry because we're not treated like a God. Because those are two perks of divinity. The perk of being worshipped and honored in all times. The perk of having thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those are divine expectations. But be really honest now. When's the last time you got angry? Why don't you own up to it? It's either because I wasn't treated with what a way I thought I should be treated, or things didn't go the way I wanted them to go. Truth is, I wasn't being treated as a God. We all have that sin nature, that proneness. But the only trouble is those of us who do not acknowledge what Psalm says in Psalm 49. He says, man in his pomp, yet without understanding is like the beast that perish. And he says it twice in Psalm 49, verse 12. And if you didn't get it, he says it again in verse 20. That's our problem. We are the one creating injustice. Why isn't life fair? Because human beings want to be God, and therefore they establish what they believe is right and wrong, and we all suffer injustice and wickedness. And so God exposes, that's what the problem is. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but. In his journal, does he give us any sense of how do we live a life in a world when I get that bum rotten apple? Well, it's interesting. Solomon wants to make sure we understand we live with a thing called mystery. We, 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 we think we want to solve all mysteries, resolve all questions. And we're not going to go on until we've got our answers. And yet we live in mystery. Huh. The greater universe. I mean, you think about it for a second. Um, if we want uh, to go from this earth today to our closest star, and we went to speed, let's say we jumped on Voyager. You know how long it's going to take us to get there? 73,000 years. Now, if we can kick that baby up to a speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, which is impossible because of Einstein, but let's say we could. Still is going to take us 4.22 years to get to the closest star. Are you starting to feel a little small here? Or you go along with that as you look at the, 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 the universe. I mean, how does this thing work? We have the sun, 93 million miles away. We have the earth goes around the sun every 365 days, six minutes, really 59 minutes and 2.3 seconds every time. And then we've got uh, the earth going around the sun, and then we've got the earth that basically goes, uh, 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 rotates, once every what? Uh, 23 minutes and 56 seconds. And then while that thing's rotating and going around here, we got a moon. And the moon is going around this rotating earth, going around the sun every 23.3 days. So everybody's kind of moving stuff. And we never get to see the backside of the moon. Have you ever wondered? Or let's go with Micro reality. An electron. 
considered to be probably the smallest particle or wave, whatever we figured out might be. But they have figured out that if you could increase an electron to the size of an orange and could increase your size to that same element, that same dimension, you could hold our entire solar system in your hand and you still need a magnifying glass to see it. Here's my point. We all live with mystery. There is reality all around us that we do not understand. But if I'm going to wait until I can resolve it all before I can enjoy any of it, I'm going to miss the whole thing and that's the foolishness that he's talking about. Let me show you what I mean. In uh, here, chapter 8, he says in verse 15, So I commended pleasure, for there's nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat, to drink, to be merry, and this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life which God has given him under the sun. What? He says, enjoy, keep extracting enjoyment from this gift of life. Yeah, but this life is unjust and unfair. He goes, when I gave my heart to know wisdom, here's Solomon, he says, when I really thought about it, and to see the task which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep in the night or the day, Solomon loses sleep because there's one thing with this great wisdom, great mind, he couldn't resolve. And what was it? In Bible study, you learn the best thing to do is read the pick and next verse. He says, and I saw every work of God, and I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. Or though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. He goes on to say, it is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good and the clean and the unclean. And it's basically all the same. What caused Solomon to lose sleep was why does it look like sometimes the good guys are treated by God as the bad guys? And the bad guys are treated by God as the good guys. It seems like sometimes the wicked are blessed by God and, 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 and the uh, righteous are punished by God. So you kind of go, that doesn't make sense. So he says in verse 4, chapter 9, For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. This is one of those verses to memorize and put on your chest. But what he's simply saying, in this life, don't blow it by getting distracted by things you can never resolve because you'll never understand. Meanwhile, so what do I do? Well, there's already mystery in your life. Look at the creation. There's hundreds of things you cannot resolve, nor do you have an answer for, but do they stop you from enjoying the days and the gifts that God gives you? So what is he, his conclusion with all this confusion? He says this, verse 7, Go then and study more. And resolve these issues. And have your debates. And win the day. No, I'm sorry. I read that wrong. Go then. Eat your bread in happiness. Drink your wine with cheerful heart. For God has already approved your works. So let your clothes be white all the time. And let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life. But life isn't fair. Don't get distracted by that. 
but you'll never understand. Because Solomon couldn't understand it. But God says, I will take care of it. Therefore, enjoy life <coughs> with the woman who you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he's given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. You know, here, here's what he's saying. For right now, there's things that are going to come into your life. It's not fair. Not right. You didn't get that job. You didn't get that promotion. You got overlooked. You just, that's not right. That's not fair. So how long are you going to be bitter and angry and let those apples go right by untouched because you don't think God knows what he's doing? And yet Romans 8, 28, you know the verse. God, he works all things together for good for everybody. That's not what it says. God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called, surrendered to his purpose. They don't let themselves be distracted by that which they cannot discover. That which they don't understand. I, 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 for years, I taught the book of Job at Scottsdale Bible Church years ago. Three and a half years in the book of Job. Some of those folks are still angry at me. Aye, 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 aye. And I thought the book of Job was about, well, why do innocent people suffer? It's not about that at all, because he never addresses it. What the book of Job is, Job had a bad season, right? He loses his wealth, his health, his kids. It's horrible. For some reason, Satan can't let his wife survive. But didn't she give great counsel? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. So maybe that was part of the punishment. I don't know. But the fact was, Job, people say, well, but he just flew right through it with a grateful heart. No, he did not. He threatened to sue God. He wanted to go to the courts of heaven and present his case. But then the last two chapters, God speaks. And God basically says, who are you to make judgment against me. And then we go, whoa, 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 God, have a little, uh, be gentle here. Job's had a hard day. God's not gentle in Job. Who are you to question? Where were you when I and the Beni Elohim, the angelic beings, prepared and created the heavens and the earth? And then Job kind of goes, God, I, and then God comes with a second message. Hey, you think you're something? You think you're a God? Hey, there's Leviathan. You want to go fishing? Go try to catch a Leviathan. Or why don't you go for a pony ride on Behemoth? In other words, the huge, huge animals. And he says, you can't even control them. Who do you think you are? And finally, so, uh, Job gets it. You know what the book of Job is all about? Just picture a triangle. God's infinite mind. God's infinite wisdom. Trying to be understood by our pinny little minds. And if you're trying to get this into this, you will have spillage. And that spillage is called mystery. And if you're waiting to be able to answer every question and be able to resolve every injustice and every wrong done to you, you will be a fool. For you will miss out 
you will miss out all because of that distraction from what God, the good things God. And so for right now, he's going to work it all together. And in the most remarkable way, here's what it is. God will take any mess you created for yourself or any mess that others have created for you and God will pull good out of it. That's the promise of Romans 8, 28. You know, it's riddles. As a junior high pastor, it does retard your social development and that's a little bit of what this is about, I'm sure. But you know, we used to use riddles a lot. And sometimes riddles just to point out the obvious. Remember the kids we used to say, okay, what's greater than God? More wicked than the devil. And if you eat it, you're going to die. That's great to see a seventh grader. <laughs> you know? And they think you're so smart. He's just saying again, what's greater than God? More wicked than the devil. And if you eat it, you're going to die. Well, it's obvious. What's greater than God? Nothing. What's more wicked than the devil? Nothing. What happens if you eat nothing? You die. But there are those riddles that give us a little bit of a profound answer. And this one comes right out of Isaiah 44. It's verses 12 to 14, and the riddle is simply this. What is it that God has never seen? Great men and women like the founders of our country saw it from time to time. And you and I, <laughs> we see it every day. What is it that God has never seen? Great men and women have seen from time to time, and you and I see it every day. You know the answer? In Isaiah 44, God says he has never seen his equal. His equal. So it comes down to this. How do I handle all this? Well, when the stuff, the messy stuff is around me, it affects my life, my family, and I, I don't like it. And I identify because Olam is in my heart. I have a moral law. I understand some things are right, some things are wrong, and these things are wrong. What do I do? Now, if I can make them right, fine. But as far as in my soul, how do I respond to this? God will take any mess that I've created or any mess others have created for me, and he'll pull good out of it. And so I will not be distracted by these mysteries, these unresolved issues in my life. Because I will still take that apple in front of me, given to me this day, and shalot. I will still look and I will acknowledge the good things God, the gifts God's given me for this day to be enjoyed in wisdom, to extract with a grateful heart from his hand and not be distracted by those things that I don't understand. But then what about all this other stuff? Answer, I'll wait. So that guy who cuts in, going on the shoulder on the freeway, whenever all of us are cooperating, and that guy cuts in, I'll wait. I'll wait. Because God promises, and at the end of this journal, his promise is he will deal with every good and reward it. So don't think you're going to be overlooked. And he will deal with every evil. And he'll punish it. And I'll wait. And sometimes we need to say it out loud to our soul. See, why do we need to say it out loud? 
You know, it's interesting. Up until about the 6th century, Scripture was always written out and read out loud. Because I believe in Romans 8, 16. He says, don't you know that the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit? You're a child of God. Now, I tend to take Scripture seriously. So I read a verse like that, and I go, what? The Holy Spirit bears witness, communicates with my spirit to remind me that I'm a child of God. I want to know how he does that. Does the Holy Spirit and my spirit have little chit-chats down here, and it feels like gas, and I'm not aware of it? No. My spirit is part of who I am. My soul, my spirit. So somehow the Holy Spirit speaks to my spirit and reminds me I'm a child of God. Well, how does he do that? Well, it's that quiet whisper. Do you hear it? Sometimes it sounds to me like, get pepperoni on your pizza. You know, I can't trust that quiet voice. I don't always know from where it comes. It just could come from being hungry. But I do know this. Where do I find the words of the Spirit? Always. In the Word of God. And therefore, sometimes, my spirit, my soul, needs to hear what the Holy Spirit says. And the Holy Spirit says, you want to know those things that seem so unfair, unjust, so wrong, makes me so angry. Sometimes my soul needs to hear my voice. Speak out loud. I'll wait. I'll wait for God to deal with it. For today, I have an apple to eat. I have an apple to embrace. And so I leave you with this. Jesus said, trust me. I have everything under control. Jesus said, trust me. And Heavenly Father, take that statement and let it burn into our soul and our faith. Lord, if we live lives of joy, it means there is no fear. We're not afraid of this creation. We're not afraid of each other because we have a greater fear that casts out the lesser fear. We fear you, and we should be fearful of you, and yet you have said, you're my, we're your sons and daughters, and you've called us to honor you. Oh, we're motivated. And so we want to honor you with wisdom, taking the gifts you give us every day, and taking the biggest bite out of those apples, and not letting any unresolved reality around us distract us from it. And Lord, we'll wait for you to bring good out of any mess we create. And it'll all be because we've surrendered to your purpose. And then we'll wait. We'll wait for you to bring righteousness and for you to bring justice in your time when you will make all things appropriate, beautiful, without any fault. Lord, we look forward to that in our hope. So may we be found faithful, and may we be found wise. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. And God's children said,
And remember, in this class, there are no quizzes or tests, so relax. But pay attention.